there's some interesting identity stuff that's coming up for some of my clients. And I get it. I think this is a profound moment of transformation for a lot of people. I think this is the moment, you know, usually it's like we sit on the rusty nail, we sit on the rusty nail, but it doesn't hurt bad enough for us to get off the rusty nail. (laughs) And so I think for a lot of people who've been sitting on a rusty nail, it's like, oh yeah, okay. Now I understand like what I can create in my life. This is Crisis Cast 2020 with me, Toby Goodman, a podcast where I get timely wisdom from experts in life and business. These guests will answer my five questions, sharing wisdom and insights to help you and me get through this global shitstorm. Today on Crisis Cast 2020 from her home in Chicago, Shelley Paxton, recorded on June 10th. After 26 years in the corporate world, where her last position was Chief Marketing Officer at Harley-Davidson, to the shock of her family, friends and co-workers, she left and went on her sole battacle. Have no fear, this term is fully explained. Shelley has gone on to become a coach, an author and has truly started her life all over again. Along with the health crisis, Black Lives Matter is now at the forefront of our lives and the public conversation. So I was so grateful to Shelley for speaking with me about the deep work she is doing, how she plans to be part of the solution and books we need to read. We're so proud to be publishing her new podcast, Rebel Souls, coming in August. Here's just a sample of the treat your ears have in store. Enjoy my conversation with Shelley Paxton. Before we start the show, I have something for you if you identify as pod curious. It's perfect for you if you're an expert, consultant or business owner. Maybe you're wondering if podcasting is worth the effort, especially now, or perhaps you've tried podcasting in the past but have been disappointed with the results. In this free guide, Podstar, I'll share the exact seven steps we use to help publish over 2000 podcasts each month. To get instant access, go to podcastnetworksolutions.com. Shelley Paxton, welcome to Crisis Cast 2020. Thank you very much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Toby. So exciting. Yeah, right. And then we can pretend we haven't been speaking for the last 45 minutes. <laughs> exactly. I know we're all warmed up. That, yeah, was, yeah. that was a lengthy warm up. That's <laughs> your patented method, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so you are in Chicago. It's the 10th of June. We are mid-pandemic or possibly early pandemic. Uh, I I don't think we're late pandemic. Anyway, we are pandemic. Tell me about the experience you've had on a local level in Chicago. Yeah, so we have been been quarantining since... Probably around, it was mid-March. So here's here's the last in real life memory that I have. <laughs> we are starting to open up very, very slowly here. But the last in real life with a group of people memory I have was March 12th. I had a book event because it was only, what, two months after my book baby launched in mid-January. And I had a book event hosted by a hotel downtown right on Michigan Avenue. It's a woman-owned hotel. It was around International Women's Day. Super cool event. And it literally happened that March 12th was like the day after shit hit the fan. So a lot of people didn't show up. There wasn't foot traffic. I think there ended up being 10 of us. 
And so we ended up having a great time with 10 people in this really intimate, powerful conversation. And then it's like, that was it. That was the last time I was with humans, hugging humans and in a group setting and having some cocktails with my friends and boom, everything closed down pretty much right after that. So it feels really surreal. It does feel weird looking back on it. My, I just checked when March 12th was my last real human interaction with people outside my house was March 15th. So do so that. And that was a Sunday and we knew it was coming. We knew it was coming. Yeah, it's very strange. So yeah, we've been, you know, the lakefront's been closed, our our city, you know, walking trails have been closed. So we can go out. I'm not sure the restrictions have been as strict as they have in places in the UK. Um, but yeah, it's sort of like dodging humans on the street. You know, I'm smiling at people, but I'm now realizing it's like, oh, they can't even see me smile. All they see is like my squinty eyes as I'm trying to smile. I feel like there's, um, it's a very strange um, it's a very strange feeling interacting with people because I want to send love and warmth and feel that connectedness and the shared humanity that we're all going through this. And yet we're all trying to avoid each other, which just feels like this strange tension. Yeah, very much so. So like personally, you work online, you've been doing your events, your book thing, you speak a lot. How, what's going on in, in, your, in your head on a, on a personal level? Because you know, your life has changed dramatically. You're a social butterfly normally, right? <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I am, I'm an introverted social butterfly. I'm one of those rare creatures. I am. Um, so, so cocooning or hermiting as a good friend of mine calls it, hermiting in my house is kind of my thing. It's where it's how I rejuvenate and re-energize, but you're right. The rest of the time I'm like out in the world doing my thing. I love to be on stages. I love to be with groups of people, as long as I know it can kind of come back home and, you know, plug myself in, so to speak. So yeah, my world, so there are parts of my world that haven't changed in the sense that most of my coaching clients don't live here in Chicago. Actually, the majority of my coaching clients aren't here in Chicago. So we've had a virtual relationship anyway, whether we meet over phone or Zoom. So that part is very consistent in my world. It's just everything else shifting to Zoom. All of my speaking engagements, my retreats got canceled. All of that um, feels very strange. But I'll tell you, you know, I, I'm a believer that a crisis always comes to teach us something. And I know there are lots of somethings in this moment for each of us individually and collectively. And for me individually, the interesting, let me talk about maybe my first revelation. My first revelation was, you know, here I am two months into having my very first book baby out in the world, feeling this sense of pride that it's in the world. And, you know, I love this message, right? This message around living more authentically and courageously and purposefully and really slowing down, right? And finding our truth and really getting connected to that truth and starting to create our lives around that truth. And so then all of a sudden the world shuts down and we're all in quarantine. And so I probably had a pity party for a few days, if I'm honest, where I went, oh, well, this doesn't feel so good. You live this dream of writing your first book and getting it out into the world. And then it's like, and then the world shuts down. And the epiphany that I had as I sat with that for a while is, wait a second, is the world in quarantine or on sabbatical? And suddenly had this realization that 
oh wait, th- we're slowing down. One of the gifts in this moment is all of us slowing down and starting to get really clear on what matters in our lives. And we can't run from ourselves and we can't sort of keep ourselves busy so when distracted from who we are and how we're feeling. And I suddenly realized, wow, it's kind of divine timing. My book is in the world at exactly the moment. Not just my book, my message is in the world at exactly the moment that it was intended to be. So I've had some really interesting moments like that where now I, I, then I got fired up all over again. So I've been doing a lot more virtual speaking engagements and really connecting with people who've read my book and helping them realize that right now is the perfect time. Granted, I get it. Like there, there's a lot of pain and loss in the world. And for essential workers, this is certainly not a time to slow down. For the rest of us, I really think it's, it's a good time for a life audit. So I've been, I've been on that message and I felt profoundly on purpose, to be honest with you. Yeah. So you just used the word solbatical. So I'm just going to pick you up on that because I'm familiar with that term, but I just wanted to uh, pick that one up because you didn't say sabbatical, you said solbatical. So what, what does that mean? And, and, you know, tell us more about that. Yes. Thanks for picking up on that. I was like, oh, if Toby's going to do an intro on this, people will know. So yeah, let's dive in. <laughs> Still, it's your, it's your word. So let's, let's yeah, hear it yeah, yeah. Slovatical is my made up word. So anybody who knows me or gets to know me will realize that one of my favorite things to do and maybe a superpower of mine is to create language. I love creating words. And so the short backstory behind sylvatical, which is a word that I made up in um, 2016. So when I was still an executive at Harley Davidson, I was the chief marketing officer there. I had a big job. It was um, the peak of my 26-year corporate career. And through a series of events, I realized that I was not living my truth, that I was living completely out of alignment with myself. And the universe was grabbing me by the lapels and literally shaking me out of my sleep and kind of out of my, my ignorance, right? Out of me not paying attention and not listening to that little voice inside. And through a whole series of events, I decided it was my time to go invest in the possibility of my future self and really get closer to my truth and nurture my creative soul and see where that led me. And so that was the decision for me to leave Harley. And I was really struggling to help people understand this because everybody in my family, in my world, certainly in my professional network, people at Harley were like, she's lost her mind. She's gone absolutely mad. You know, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. What's going on here? And I wanted to help people understand that what I was doing was not, you know, just taking time off. It wasn't a traditional sabbatical. It wasn't, you know, just going to lay on a beach for a year, but I really wanted to do some profound work and I wanted it to have more gravity. And of course, I'm a creative marketing person, so I wanted it to have a a handle. And so I woke up one morning, it was so crystal clear to me, like it was on my bedside table, like a love note from the universe. I was like, that's it. I'm chief soul officer of my own life. And I'm going on a journey called Soulbatical. And the idea was that I was going to be nurturing and nourishing my own soul to get reconnected and do some of that really deep inner work to get, you know, get clear on my values and my purpose and understand my calling in the world. Because what had become incredibly clear to me is that I was living someone else's dream. 
albeit very successfully and with great fortune along the way. And I have zero regrets. And yet I'm one of those stories now where it's like, you know, I had a story in my head for a long time. Oh, it's too late. I'm too old. You know, all the things that we tell ourselves. And I created Soulbatical for myself to stay true to me. And it led me on this journey. And I've essentially reinvented my life for the second half of it. And it's incredible. So now I say Soulbatical is a way of being. I like to talk about it in rebel terms because the, well, my book is called Soulbatical, A Corporate Rebel's Guide to Finding Your Best Life. And I am a rebel. And the, I spent the first half of my life rebelling against everything, tradition and religion and my parents and all the things. And now I'm realizing the power is in rebelling for who we are, what we want, and the impact that we want to have in the world. So it's about living a life and leading in a way that's authentic and courageous and on purpose. That's what Soulbatical is. Honestly, you don't have to leave your job. It's really about finding yourself. Yeah, love that. So uh, you've had time to do things that maybe you haven't done before. You're going to start a podcast. Very excited about that, of course. Yes, (laughs) with somebody I know very dearly. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, right. So you're going to start that. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. Can we give a shout out what it's called? We're doing Rebel Souls. Doing the Rebel yeah. Souls podcast. It's Rebel coming, Souls podcast. Coming in your ears as soon as uh, you've made a couple of critical decisions, but it's it's going to happen, right? So that's good. August is the plan. I'm putting it out there. The more I say it, the more it's going to happen. August. Drops in August. Otherwise, I'm just publishing the coughs and splutters from this interview. We're going to edit all <laughs> them out. Just the laughs, the giggles. The breaths, and then we're just going to put that into one episode. Love it. And go There you go. That's what you did to yourself. Anyway, so tell me about, you know, the time that you've had where you would have been traveling or whatever. What have you been doing? Have you been reading, walking, like stuff that you've finally got the chance to do? We, we were talking about that earlier. So interested to know what else you've been doing. And- yeah, I'm a, I'm a big believer. I've, I've, been, I've been doing a lot of interviews around this. It's like, you know, I say it kind of cheekily, but it's like, you know, for anybody who says they're bored, it's like, well, choose boredom over busy. Lean into that boredom. And, you know, I say that with a little bit of like, a, you know, a wink and a nod, but leaning into the boredom is like, ask yourself the tough questions, right? And, and so there's that piece of it. The second piece of it that I love is, what if we choose to use this time to create intentional growth. You know, this we always grow from hard things. We know we always grow from hard things. So what if we set intention? So for me, one of the things that I've always wanted to do, I have this obsession with neuroscience. Part of it is because I mean, I'm sure part of it is because I'm a coach and there's, you know, there's a close relationship to understanding how the brain functions and how we coach our clients really deeply. But it really started with the when my dad had two strokes in kind of in the middle of my initial sabbatical journey, and um, watching him recover for the past three years, we're incredibly fortunate that he's still around. And yet, you know, I'm kind of still watching this slow and steady recovery and understanding the amazing plasticity of the brain. And so, one of the commitments I've made on, you know, in quarantine is to take some online courses. So 
I took um, one, which was Yale's most popular course that was available on a, on a site called Coursera.org for free. It's called The Science of Wellbeing. So it was connecting neuroscience with, you know, living happier lives. And that was really powerful. And right now, a friend of mine started, a friend of mine who's a coach, partnered with a... Um, a PhD in neuroscience, and they're offering a, a course around um, neuroscience and coaching. So really getting to know the brain on a deeper level, and then how do we bring that into our coaching program? So I'm in the middle of that program right now. So for me, like there's, there's huge opportunity right now, you know, and as long as this goes on, as we slowly reopen, or maybe we pause on reopening, depending upon where the numbers are, there's an opportunity to create or learn or develop new habits and to really lean in. So yes, I've been doing a lot of reading, but I've also had set these intentions for really, um, really intentional growth during this period. And I've also found, and I'm curious if you've found this as well, I've also found this to be a really creative time for me. I have stuff that's kind of coming up and through me as I've signed up to do these speaking gigs. And like the other day, I wrote this Rebel Leaders Manifesto. And then I just presented it to a group of 150 people and they were blown away. And now I just have all these people coming to me going like, you're our rebel leader. Yeah. And so I think there's, I think there are many, many gifts in this moment in time. Yeah. Agreed. You know, what this has forced me to do is start a podcast. I'm the guy that sits behind people who help them to podcast. No intention of being a podcaster. Don't want to do it. And there was a time when I was concerned about what was happening with the business. And I'm like, well, we need to, we need to show people what we can do. And, and I've actually got something to talk about now. And it made me realize that it wasn't necessarily me talking about stuff because I don't feel like I know anything about crisis. But I did realize that I knew a lot of people who were clued up and very experienced and all around the world because of the work I've been doing. And I just wanted to document it. And, and what that's turned into is up to now 30 recordings since April right? 30 interviews that are documents of this time, how people feel in their own heads, what they've been doing, whether they're in Chicago or South Africa or London or Australia. Like I've now just, I've had these incredible conversations and the themes are the same. Um, And it proves to me that I've been surrounding myself with some great people who feel largely the same about the big issues. Um, But of course, this pandemic's been moving so fast, slightly different paces, um, depending on where you are in the world. You know, I spoke to a guy in Australia the other day and they're basically home free, it feels like, you know, whereas, um, you know, we've certainly gone deeper into it. You guys are like fully in it. Uh, The differences between the states are, are, you know, pretty stark, some of them. Um, So yeah, I've, I've, fully gone into creating that and my creativity personal creativity has always been in music but that's been taken away from me right now from a communication standpoint i can practice on my own which i will do um so my hands don't fall off when i do get a gig again but but the the beauty of doing it for me is the communication aspect is for being in a room and having a conversation without words of course, but playing music with people, that's the joy for me. And that's been taken away. So 
the result is hyper focused getting over myself and becoming a podcaster um and stop you know kind of eating well start to eat my own dog food in terms of what i've been advising people to do for the last few years right so i love it well that sounds like intentional growth to me right this is us like pushing our edges saying you know i mean one of my favorite things to talk about this is the coach coming out in me in this conversation is like push yourself to your edges because when you feel that discomfort that's where growth happens and that's exactly what you were experiencing. It doesn't even sound like you you seem so comfortable in this role now, but 30 episodes ago, I'm sure it's like, oh my God, I'm feeling awkward because now I'm in front of this microphone on the opposite side of the, of the conversation. And it's it, it, for me, it's about the result. Like what result do I want? Do I want my parents to approve of this thing? Do I want people, do I want other musicians to find out and discover what it is and go, oh, what's going on with that guy? Like all of those things are the fear thoughts that go through my head when I think about putting myself, the non-musician out there into the world and introducing the musician people to what I've really been up to. It's a weird feeling. But actually... The, the thing that's just pushed me through is, well, first of all, I don't have a choice. Second of all, I want to survive and all of those kind of basic fears. And then, you know, I've got a couple of young kids who have dealing with this in through the lens of being a three and a six-year-old and they don't know what the hell's going on, right? And in a few years' time, they're, they're adapting and they're fine, but there's some anxiety coming out and all of that stuff. In a few years' time, when they're old enough and they ask me about the period where they weren't allowed to go to school or see their friends, I'm going to have an archive of stuff to go, well, these are the conversations I had during that time, you know? And if that's the, if that's the smallest sort of, if that's, if that's the bottom rung of benefit that comes from doing this, then I don't care what else happens. But as it happens, we've got clients through doing this thing. I've had better relationships, got stronger relationships, um, you know, with you, with, with all the people that I've spoken to, I now have stronger bonds with those people who are all awesome people. 100%. I think, you know, the conversations that you're having and just bringing people together, loving your intro, how you're saying like, I'm basically doing this as much for me as I'm doing it for you. That's like my favorite part of your intro. Yeah. Um, but it's, it is, it's, we're experiencing the shared humanity. I mean, one of the other gifts from my perspective is the connectedness. You know, if anybody, this, I do a lot of work around this as a coach, where it's like, there are a lot of people who are like, no, I don't see us all as connected. I don't see us all as one. And if we ever needed proof, this kind of pandemic, this kind of virus running through our global community is proof of how interconnected we are. It's proof like across oceans, across borders, across genders and ethnicities and creeds and everything. It is so proof. And, and I love that. Like I want to embrace like, okay, how else can we embrace our interconnectedness and our shared humanity by spreading calm? by spreading kindness, you know, by enjoying these sorts of conversations that take it deeper. And so I'm really hopeful that that we find a way to um, bring that with us into the future. I don't like necessarily love this phrase new normal because uh, there are plenty of parts of the old normal that I would, I'm, I'm quite happy just to leave behind. That's my favorite question to ask people. It's like, what don't you want to take from your old world into whatever we're creating as we start to come out of this, whenever that is? Because we have this opportunity to say, what do we want the phoenix to look like as it rises from the ashes? Well, how do we want to create our world based on what we know now? 
and how we want to relate to each other and the connectedness that we feel. And maybe it sounds utopian, but I would love for pieces of that to live beyond this. Yeah. So, you know, it's June the 10th and this podcast was started as crisis cast, coronavirus is happening, what's going on? And it's June the 10th, 2020, and there's another massive issue that's come up in the world with Black Lives Matter. And and um, that's knocked me for six and a lot of people I know and has kind of proved how much I haven't been having conversations that I should have had with some of my closest friends who have been writing things on Facebook that I, I didn't know and I can't believe I didn't know. But, you know, it, it's... It's definitely here in the UK, big time. There's been riots and stuff, but you're where you are in Chicago. Tell me, tell me about that aspect of the, of the other crisis that is clearly a big thing. Yeah, well, and let's be honest, right? The you know, I I am definitely so I'm talking to you as you know a, a Caucasian person, as a white woman who lives in the states, and as somebody who has considered herself fairly enlightened. And what I've realized is as I've read How to Be an Anti-Racist Racist by Ibram Kendi. I mean, that is that is a powerful book. If anybody hasn't read it and you're really interested in diving into what does it truly mean to be an anti-racist, I've realized that, you know, we're, you know, when we're silent, we're complicit. And there's so much in just our unconscious biases that makes us racist. And there are so many different kinds of racism. And so I, like you, am one of those people going, you know, this is a pandemic that's been going on for over 400 years in this country, right? I can only speak for the U.S., but it's been going on since the days of slavery. And, you know, we get woken up and we have these flash pan, flash in the pan moments, and then we go to sleep again and we get woken up and then we go to sleep again. And it is my hope. And I am holding myself accountable for being part of the solution and a part of the change that this is not, that ensuring that this is not another flash in the pan moment, that this is how do we impact and create the lasting change for racial justice. And I don't have all the answers for what that looks like, but I've made my own commitments. I actually, I've made posts about it. I sent a newsletter out to my community on Sunday with just what I was experiencing, what I was holding myself accountable for and speaking out and also having diverse perspectives on my platforms, including Rebel Souls podcast. I want, now that I'm starting this, I'm just like, damn, you know, I looked at my list and I'm like, pretty diverse perspectives. I want more. How do I keep having that conversation and what other action can I be taking? And so I sent a a letter to my community that said, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I've been trying to process. And here are all the resources I've come upon from readings to videos to workshops and forums and being a part of difficult conversations. And so that's what I'm doing day by day. I'm trying to dig in a little bit deeper and, and take action and do my part in, you know, being the change. But man, it's tough. I mean, Chicago is a hot spot, right? Chicago is a very diverse community, and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of um, energy and anger here. And I get it. So there've been a lot of protests, largely peaceful, but um, a couple of nights it wasn't so peaceful, and the looters came out. And yet, I get why people are angry, and I get like it's time for change. And you know, I, I think I felt what a lot of white people here, and maybe in the UK as well, have felt, which is kind of shame that I've been quiet because I thought I was doing all the right things and I really wasn't doing anything. Yeah. Yeah. And my thought, you know, if you, 
last week at some point. I was like, oh, I've got that. I've got this podcast called Crisis Cast, which was uh, which was about the pandemic. It was a uh, you know there was no aspect to this conversation in it when I launched it, and now I'm like, well, this is like I'm going to use it for that, you know. And if people don't, it's mine. Like I've got control of it, so I can have that conversation, and I'm open to having that conversation with with as many people as possible uh, of any color, of any background, like. Obviously, I want more black people and I want more of my black friends to be on this podcast. 100%. Because I want to give them that platform that they deserve and equally, you know, I'm all right. I'm all right being a white person having a conversation about this with another white person because that's, we haven't been clearly having those conversations between us either about how we can help. So, yeah, it's just, just very heavy, but important. Yeah. And, and, and I think the thing for all of us, I know I'm holding myself accountable for this is to do the work, like do the hard work. So yes, have the conversations and the conversations are going to be difficult. Yes. Speak out when you see something or when you believe, you know, that there's, there's a wrong or there's an injustice and also really dig into your own unconscious biases. I'm working on unraveling what mine are because we are blind to them. And the the resource that I found, um, there are a couple workshops I'm upcoming workshops I'm participating in over here. But the book that I is really blowing my mind right now is Leila Saad's book, Me and White Supremacy. And it originally started as a 28-day program on Instagram. She's now on the Sunday Times and New York Times bestseller list because of all of this, which I'm just applauding. Like, I just, I am so excited that, you know, not that this happened and it got her work noticed, but I'm excited that this work is getting noticed. And so she started this as a way to say, I'm going to structure 28 days to help anybody who wants to really dive into some deep questions and do the work around understanding your own white privilege and white supremacy, which then turned into a book and an audio book and all of the things, which is amazing. So she takes you on this journey and it's just, who talk about heavy, but talk about profound and really digging into, okay, Oh, I didn't even know I was looking at something that way or, or, you know, I don't know, doing that thing or saying that thing or maybe perpetuating that thing. And so, yeah, I recommend that for anybody who really wants to dive in. It's powerful work. Yeah, I'm on it. I've made a note. We'll put a link in the show notes yeah. as well, for sure. Both of those, How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram Kendi and uh, Leila Saad's um, me and white supremacy. I'm also reading Robin D'Angelo's White Fragility. So those three are kind of been my beacons, um, as well as really listening to um, more uh, Black voices and having conversations. And um, I'm in a book club around Layla's work so that we can all group of us, very diverse group of us can come together and have dialogue around what we're uncovering and experiencing. And all of that. Um, but yeah, I just think it's, uh, I want this to be lasting change. It's, it's long, long, long overdue. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Oh man. Okay. So, um, changing the pace a little bit because of the change, because of what's going on, because we're all locked in at home. How are you helping your clients right now are there are there are there differences how are you helping your people your clients your tribe however you describe what 
what's been coming up for them? Oh, everything we've just talked about and more. <laughs> um, my clients are in, I have clients who are in very different stages. You know, I have some clients in New York City who are, well, who, who live in New York City full-time, but who have not been there during the pandemic, who chose to leave. And so who are kind of living a more rural life and they're having these, it's almost an awakening of like, wait, I've been a lifelong New Yorker. That's been at the core of my identity. And now I'm having this experience of living this life where it's like, it's quieter and it's more spacious and I feel more free and my kids can run around and all of these things. Does that make me not a New Yorker? Do I want to go back? So there's some interesting identity stuff that's coming up for some of my clients and I get it. I think this is a profound moment of transformation for a lot of people. I think this is the moment, you know, usually it's like we sit on the rusty nail, we sit on the rusty nail, but it doesn't hurt bad enough for us to get off the rusty nail. (laughs) And so I think for a lot of people who've been sitting on a rusty nail, it's like, oh yeah, okay. Now I understand like what I can create in my life and want to start creating as we come out of this and want to start thinking about how to lay the foundation or, you know, sort of pave the runway for what that looks like. And for some, they're going to have profound changes in their lives. For others, they feel like they're just, they're coming into their own. So I have some clients who are entrepreneurs and this is just, this is like, nope, this is exactly where I'm meant to be. The changes that are happening in the world right now are happening for me and I'm excited and I want more of this goodness in the world. And they're just leaning into it 100% and, and everything in between. I have some clients who are also really, really scared as I'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast have probably felt, you know, degrees of fear right? Around the uncertainty of all of this. And the reality is uncertainty is always there. I think it's more acute right now. And fear is always a choice. And so I'm working with a lot of clients who had already decided to leave their jobs pre-pandemic. They're in the midst of transition to, you know, similar to, similar to my journey, right? In the early days of sabbatical. And it's like, oh shit, everything has completely changed around me. What And I'm helping them understand that there's a gift in this, if not multiple gifts in this, in terms of them really deciding where they want to go from here and creating what they want, um, almost from a blank slate. But yeah, so it's all over the board, but powerful work. And you know what? You teach what you need to learn. So it's been a really great mirror and reflection for me as well as I'm helping my clients through this. Yep, absolutely. I'm certainly teaching what I need to learn <laughs> yep. a lot. Um, that's that's very cool. Um, so you spoke about what asking people what they'll leave behind rather than going back to the new normal. I've had various people, um, uh, Shweta, who, who was on the podcast a few weeks ago, was talking about bounce. You don't bounce back, you bounce forward. You know, that's what we need to do. You're talking about, you know, what will you leave behind? So, So for you... What, what are you hoping that the other side looks like? Well, it was a reminder. So I'll talk about one of my personal, you know, I, I've struggled with busyness for my whole life. And, and you know, as a way to try to probably outrun my own, my own feelings and my own, um, you know, that little voice. And so that's a, a big part of Soulbatical was around me learning to slow down and reconnect with myself and be guided by my soul or that little voice inside of me. 
And I realized in the beginning of the pandemic, because I wanted to serve, 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 I was not only serving my clients, but I was serving everybody who I possibly could. And I got caught up in the busyness again. So I got about six weeks into the pandemic and I was exhausted realizing that I basically needed a heaping spoonful of my own medicine, right? As we do. And so it's, it's made me, you know, it was a beautiful reminder for me of what I really want. Like that slowness, what I, what I love about what I'm seeing in the world right now is we're slowing down. We're connecting with what matters most. I'm seeing more compassion and kindness and grace and empathy. And I want that in the world. I really, truly want more of that in our leadership, in our connectedness, in our human engagements, um, in our businesses, the culture. So yeah, I, I, I also like what I'm seeing that it's drawing out, you know, in many cases, the best of humanity. And I want more of that as we go forward. And I have a vision because I think a lot about the soul of business. I think that's kind of the next layer of my work. And I think about the soul of business. I'm like, yes, we're already starting to see the soul of business come to life. And how can we build on that on the other side? Yes. Yeah, awesome. And I, I love that you took a holiday. I love that mm-hmm. you took a holiday and we were like, oh, can't talk to Shelly. She's on holiday. Where is she? Well, she's, she's in her house. <laughs> she's in her house. <laughs> but she's on, hold on. Yeah, but it was really cool. Like, love, love that you did that. And um, yeah, so I, I support everything you've just said. So many of my answers end up like this on this podcast. It's funny. People say amazing things and I go, yeah. <laughs> <That's> exactly. <laughs> yeah, back. That's yeah. The, we always say in coaching, it's like that, oh, yeah. Like that's yeah. the sound of insight. <laughs> yeah, man. So. so yes, yes to everything. Tell me, oh God, I have so many questions for you now, but let's finish with this one. Well, we'll finish with two. First of all, this is, seems to be a question I'm asking a lot. What has impressed you or surprised you or both since this has all happened? And, and I was talking about Corona. Now we're talking about Black Lives Matter and this. So so you you pick, but what what are the standout moments so far since March twelfth or whatever it was uh, when when old life stopped? What what's what do you think are going to be lasting memories? Oh yeah, um, you know I think it builds on the answer I just gave. I really believe, like I look at what's happened in the business community as an example. You know, I look at you know. It, it has exposed all of the cracks in bad leadership, right? The bay, you know, so that, you know, people used to get away with bad leadership that didn't embrace compassion and vulnerability and courage and empathy and all these beautiful things that, you know, I'm a trainee of Brene Brown. So I, I speak her language and, um, and, and so people who leaders and businesses who aren't embracing that, man, they, they're feeling it, right? Because they're getting the backlash. The leaders who are and who are stepping forward and who are putting, you know, people over profit, you know, who are really embracing the humanity of business, that's what's, that's what's really lit me up, if I'm honest. Um, I love what I'm seeing, you know, for, you know, whether it's, you know, companies who converted their factories to make 
um, you know, hand sanitizer or face masks or um, ventilators or whatever it is, like seeing that, like how can we all come together and support each other? Like we have one mission. We have one mission. It's just that that sense of unity and compassion that I don't feel has been in business enough to the degree that um, we want it and need it has really, that's made me smile. That's really made me smile. And I feel like those are, those are the businesses and le- leaders that are rising to the top right now. And those are the people, people other people want to work for, right? And work with. So that's a, that's a big piece of it. Um, with the Black Lives Matter, it's, um, I think we said this earlier, it is forcing conversations that should have been happening all along. And those are difficult conversations, right? So I think throughout all of this, we are learning to have courageous conversations. We are learning to ask ourselves the tough questions. And I think that goes, that's a thread that pulls through both of these crises to really, really get honest with with ourselves and to get honest with what's happening in the world, right? And say, how do I want to be a part of the solution? And in both cases, we are part of creating the future. For us to sit back and just say, it's happening to us, bullshit. We are part of creating what we want to see, both in terms of how we fight for racial justice, in terms of how we have those difficult conversations um, with you know, our friends of color, um, and in terms of how we want to come out of corona and what we want to create as a result of it. I mean, God help us that we default and go backwards. I think there is, I love what Shweta said. It is only bouncing forward and it is in our power to say, what do we want to create going forward? And I want the racial justice conversation to be a part, a big part of what we create going forward. And it's not just conversation, it's also action. So that's the stuff I'm also working on myself is what action can I take on a local level? What action can I take on a national level? And how can I keep doing the inner work so that I'm promoting diversity and conversation and and all of that good stuff? So maybe more of a general answer, but that's what I'm that's what I'm seeing and feeling. Yeah, I I like it, and I just wanted to tell you that that you know obviously there have been riots here. There was a big riot in Bristol, and I don't know if it made the news because Bristol's like a fourth or fifth city, maybe even sixth city. In the UK, I don't even know yeah. if you've even heard of Bristol, but yeah, I know Bristol. Yeah, you know it. It's lovely, right? So um, there's a there's a hall called Colston Hall, and it's a concert hall's lovely venue. And outside it, there's Colston, whoever he was. I didn't know who he was, but it turns out he's a slave trader, right? So they so they pulled down his statue, and there were people saying, you know, this is ridiculous. You know, they're pulling down our history and all of that, and uh, you know, it's interesting to read who this guy was because I've been to that concert hall loads and I just didn't know who he was. It was just a name of a bloke at a statue, right? So it turns out he's a slave trader. It turns out people have pulled the statue down and rolled it through town and into the river, um, all documented on TV. And what really like surprised me was to see someone on Facebook who... I know to be kind of maybe a bit more right-leaning than I am to say, you know, when I first saw this, my initial reaction was like disgust at how you could, you know, tear down our history and it's, 
you know, it's not right. You know, this is our history. We should be celebrating it. But then I read what this guy did and I loved that they did that. And, and, and some, one of the comments underneath was like, you know, this is history, mate. You know, this is part of the thing. Like you're living history right now. Someone's statue was pulled down, rolled down and put into a, a river. You know, and I think maybe they're going to pull it out and put it in a museum and say this was something that you know happened. So they they won't let it sink. Maybe they should do. Yeah, not for me. But make but, it part of education. Yeah, but make it part of a thing. And I'm like, that's really cool to read someone. I don't know this guy really well. You know, it's one of those kind of peripheral peripheral Facebook people. But I'm like, that's really cool, man. Because you are, you know, classic, classic white bloke who, you know. To, to me as far as I know. So it's, it's, um, that was good to see. That was really Yeah. I have to, to say we have similar things happening over here and maybe this can be the final note. Cause I know we both have to yeah. have to run, but the, um, there are governors here in the U S in some of the Southern states who are really petitioning to take down, um, Confederate statues you know, that kind of celebrate this history, you know, and this, this, the chapter of slavery and yeah, you know, it's, 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 um, that makes me excited to see. It's like, why are we celebrating that? We should not be celebrating that. You know, we should not be making statues and, and, and in any way sort of, you know, memorializing that. And so I get excited about that, you know, that piece of it. It's like, let's celebrate, let's celebrate the future and the moving forward and the, the equity and equality and, and true justice, which we haven't been offering to blacks and people of color in the past 400 years. Right. Yes. Tell me, where can people find out more about you? Tell if they want more, more Shelley in their lives, which I imagine they definitely will. How, how can, how can, that. how can people find you? Well, I know I want more Shelley in my life. So well, I'm glad we are connected doing our work together. So that's super exciting. So we're, I'm going to get more Toby. You'll get more Shelly. The world's going to be good. That puts us back at an equilibrium. People can find me at soulbatical.com, which is soulbatical spelled with two Bs and one T. And uh, you can find all the things. My newsletter that I mentioned, you can find information about my book, like all the things on my website. Um, in addition, my playground uh, in the social world is Instagram. So you can find me at Soulbatical. Again, two Bs and one T. And um, as Shelly Paxton on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is your preferred playground. Those are probably the three places I spend the most time. And my book, you can buy anywhere where you can buy books. Soulbatical, A Corporate Rebel's Guide to Finding Your Best Life. You can find it on Amazon or at your local booksellers. All that good stuff. Yes. And a great book it is too. Thank you so much for joining me, Shelley. Thanks for having me. This was a fun conversation. Yeah. This episode of Crisis Cast 2020 was produced by me in London and Kate Astrakhan in Michigan with artwork by Ryan Field and sound design by Lee Turner. Crisis Cars 2020 is a production from Podcast Network Solutions, a full-service podcast production company who are ready to help you plan, record, produce, and promote your message with podcasting. To find out more and grab your copy of Podstar, if you're feeling pod curious, visit us at podcastnetworksolutions.com.